from Melbourne and Minneapolis. This is for Christ's sake. June 17th, Hotel Rena, Spain. Annette Dumarche, assistant manager of the Hotel Rena, pushed a yellow card across the reception desk to the new guest. Why, hello there, friendly fellows and fellowettes. Is that the female version of fellow? That's it. Uh, welcome to yet another edition of, for Christ's sake, the world's premiere uh, only question mark. Michael Crichton podcast. I'm sure it's not the only podcast. I don't want to really find out about our competition, to be honest. It's 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 the only podcast that we're aware of about <laughs> the works of Michael Crichton. As two people who have never sought out Michael Crichton podcasts in their lives. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I'm fair to uh, I think it's fair to say that we are the only Michael Crichton podcast who is taking this particular approach of going chapter by chapter and recapping, discussing articulating Enjoy? our feelings yeah, yeah. Well, well let's not get ahead of ourselves um <laughs> the the great man's works uh, we're back at you today with yet another chapter of uh old mr kreitz um very first novel published under the name john langa i like to say john long um but uh, i'm doing it I'm, I'm adding a germanic spin to it mm. john langa um and uh, that book is called Odds On, uh, which is written before Crichton apparently had, you know, the stones to publish under his own name. Maybe he was a little bit ashamed of, of these novels. Didn't want them associated with his brand. I can't, Im- I can't imagine why that would be. <laughs> anyway, uh, shall we get into it? So we left off with. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Oh, oh. I've got some business to take over before we oh, okay, launch into this chapter. Do you have a signature drink and or beverage that you will customarily eat on this podcast as I do? Uh, you mean drink and snack, do you mean? You said drink and or beverage. Well, I've already been drinking too much of my <laughs> beverage. <laughs> I mean, uh, I could start. I could start from now on, but uh, as of yet, I, I, I have think no. that would be appropriate, and okay. I think I think it would be good to okay. encourage our listeners maybe to join us, and they can <laughs> choose between whose snacks they want, whose beverage <laughs> they want. They can even mix it up. They can yeah. take one of your beverage, okay. one of my snacks, whatever it is. But I feel like this is a communal experience. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to say that uh, the specific drink and snack should change from book to book. <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah. That is a great idea. And you're, you're set uh, this week on, uh, and last week, and I guess this book, uh, with uh, wine, with white wine, white boxed wine, and uh, banana cream biscuits. That's that's the snack that you, 
you've chosen to abide. That is what I've chosen to pair this particular novel with. Yes. I'll, I'll have to uh, sort through um, my life, uh, the snacks that are available to me, and come up with something that will be my uh, snack net for next week. And uh, we'll discuss it then. Yep. But right. any listeners, uh, for the time being, while we're absent uh, Hunter's particular choice of beverage and or snack, you can join me in devouring some delicious banana cream biscuits, should they be available to you. The brand I favor, slash, which were available to me, are KGB Cream Biscuits. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Not a Russian product. Uh, It's actually from Singapore, but it is KGB brand. Weird. Okay, well, that's weird. Uh, Yes, and white wine. Now, I'm not necessarily committing to having a different beverage for every book definitely no 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 different beverage for every book all right fine but like wine is good you can have Uh, red wine (laughs) all right all right fair enough that's that's fair and it's okay if you repeat them uh occasionally but okay all right all right all right fine right let's uh shall we shall we get to it uh so where we left off we had all the principal players Heading to this hotel in Spain, this exclusive luxury resort. Uh, We had Miguel there already. We had Brian there after Miguel had arrived. Jenks is on his way. Yeah. He's working out a few kinks before he gets there. And that was essentially it, right? And also, um, um, uh, (laughs) the perennially um, forgottenly named... uh, uh, What's his name? (laughs) Peter? Is that his name? I've already forgotten. Do you remember? We get it almost every night When that moon is big and bright It's a supernatural delight Everybody's dancing in the his buxom um, female companion, uh, Jenny, is, also seems to be en route to Hotel Rihanna. Okay? So, shall we uh, continue? Let's go. So, we're in the fabled hotel, this luxury mm. hotel, um, mm. around which this plan centers. Mm. Can you center around something, or is the center the center? Anyway... <clears throat> We're in this hotel, Hotel Rena. Mm-hmm. You say Rihanna, I say Rena. Let's call the whole thing off. Um, and we're in the company of Annette Demarche, who is mm. the assistant manager of the hotel, mm-hmm. as your reading made abundantly clear. 
Mm. Especially the bit that said, comma, assistant manager of the hotel. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That was the key, the key point that uh, clued me in. Mm. Um, And uh, she is checking in Jenks, who has finally arrived. The third man has Mm. arrived, right? And uh, she observes that Jenks is both ugly and handsome at the same time. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And that she would like to fuck him, or perhaps would like to fuck um, Brian. Yeah. She needs to be satisfied. That seems to be the dominant trait of all women in John Lange's world, if not Michael Crichton's. <laughs> Is that they need a strong man to satisfy their extreme carnal desires. That is their one character trait so far. <laughs> it's, Consistent it's across all women. Um, speaking of that, uh, after Jinx checks in... That sounds like the name of a great 80s comedy movie. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like the name of uh, a shitty uh, PG Woodhouse novel. <laughs> <laughs> it actually does. <laughs> I know. Um, but anyway, so after, after Jinx checks in, uh, we get another two characters who are also arriving at the Hotel Rita. We got uh, Ganson, Peter Ganson the fourth, and his lovely lady companion, Jenny. And uh, I was going to read a brief uh, comment uh, that, that Crichton describes her as. Unless, uh, well, maybe we can do more reading later. I don't, I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Should I, should I read this bit now? or uh... You can read this bit now. Read whatever you want, whenever you want. Okay. Whatever the, <laughs> the mood strike. <laughs> uh, rather than try to synopsize this portion, I feel like we should just let Crichton uh, describe it as he, as he wanted. Uh, I, I was uh, struck in particular by this this little um, piece of text, and I hope that our listeners and that you were too. Okay? You ready? Let me just play the For Crichton Out Loud theme song. The discussion was interrupted by the arrival of two new guests. They were both young, both queerly American. The boy was slim, rather reedy, with a pimple on his chin and blonde hair that was too long, though he was handsome enough in a vain and immature way. The girl at his side was tall, lushly proportioned, and beautiful. She wore her blonde hair medium length, her face had a scrubbed look, and her eyes were soft powder blue beneath long lashes. It would have been an angelic face, were it not for the lifts of the eyebrows, which indicated clearly to Annette that the girl was a bitch and probably a sex tease. <laughs> now, uh, did I laugh out loud after I had read that particular passage? You, <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did too, from my perch on the ivory bowl. Uh, I just find it to be extremely amusing that someone's eyebrows and their lips can indicate to someone that. They are a bitch. Not only, not only that they're a bitch, but also possi- probably a sex tease. Which we know from previous chapters is true of this, this, um, um, this woman, Jenny. So let it not be said that Michael Crichton's female characters are simplistic because they contain multitudes. They can be a bitch and a sex tease. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. Um, so they check in. They get separate rooms. On different floors, no less. Mm. So probably no funny business happening there. Mm-mm. Mm. Despite Ganson's persistence. It, it, this hotel is a, has plenty of studs available for Ginny's uh, delighted pleasure. Um, and Annette's. 
And that other woman. <laughs> and that other woman um, who we're going to start talking about right now, uh, Maria Teresa Gonzalez. I, I loved this bit. This is my favorite bit of the novel so far. So you like the Tangier stuff? I was uh, a big fan was of this, enjoyable. This I, also, I also quite enjoyed this bit, uh, which I thought was pretty hysterical. But, uh, you know, I'll let you tackle it. There's going to be another segment of For Crying Out Loud coming up shortly. <laughs> uh, I, I also uh, I actually have one that uh, I highlighted to out of there. So maybe, maybe it's the same one. But uh, we'll see. So uh, do you, because this uh, struck you to such a strong degree, I'll, I'll let you... Uh, tackle this particular subsection about one more time maria teresa gonzalez so go ahead yes so we were introduced to maria in the previous chapter she was an alluring woman on the other side of the bar that Mm. miguel noticed probably brian noticed i don't know and we are introduced to her again in her hotel room Mm. she is nude wearing nothing but a watch Uh uh-huh a service person comes in to deliver her bacon and eggs or whatever. Mm. Coffee and two boiled eggs. I've got the page here. Mm. Um, <clears throat> just to be clear, she has fucked this particular service person, but he was disappointing. <laughs> he wasn't man enough to satisfy her. I, I, I laughed at that one. I laughed at that part. That was pretty funny. He's described uh, as being like a bull in a china shop, as the English would say. Rampaging, excited, worthless. It was a shame. Mm. You know? Yeah, yeah, I do know. Been there, done that, right? Please continue. Uh, then we dip into a bit of her backstory. Mm, very interesting. She's Iberian. I don't know what that means. I believe it is a place in Spain. Okay. Oh, no, the Iberian Peninsula is the peninsula where Portugal and Spain are. Okay, right. Um, so I guess that's not very specific. <laughs> it could be from Portugal or Spain. Well, she describes her genetic makeup later, so... That's true, that's true. You get that she's Portuguese and Arab, so... And then, you know, she's getting ready for the day, right? Mm. And, uh, she has a short, rather brutal shower, cold shower, right? Mm. In order to, perhaps, emphasize the contrast between this activity and the more sensual activities she will engage in later on. Mm-hmm. Mr. Crichton theorizes. Mm. The bit I would like to quote in another segment of For Crichton Out Loud. For Crichton Out Loud! Thank you. Is this. Please. Pink from the towel, she stepped before the full-length mirror and surveyed her naked body coldly. Mm. Mm. Though she was no infant. (laughs) (laughs) Please. This is a difficult sentence to get through. But let me Uh, say that again. Though she was no infant, that's the qualifier. mm. Her figure was still supple, muscular, and exciting. This is an interesting sentence to unpack, don't you think? (laughs) Uh, Yes. So despite the fact, despite the fact that she wasn't an infant child... Nonetheless, nonetheless, her figure was still supple, muscular, and exciting. Mm. This tells us a little something about <laughs> something. our author, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that he prefers the young, yes, perhaps. Oh, can I, can I actually read a... Uh, I, I actually had a different portion of this, uh, this, <laughs> this chapter, this subsection highlighted. Please, uh, while we're still within okay. the For Crying Out Loud section, <clears throat> go right ahead. All right, here we go. 
Do you need to fill in any gaps between that quote and your <laughs> one? Or actually, I'm just gonna yeah, I'm just gonna read the the entire passage between Do it. this one and the next one. I feel like I feel like we can just read this entire chapter out pretty much. But but anyway, <laughs> I let's not stoop to that level. This that uh, this soon. Okay, ready? This is this picks up mm-hmm. immediately after the one you just finished reading. Hmm. Okay. If anything, her dark face with her clear almond eyes had grown more sensual with the years. That, no doubt, was the legacy of experience, a kind of degree of experience, part sordid and part luscious, which few women in the world had ever enjoyed. And her body, long and inviting beneath her fine-featured face, remained wholly satisfactory. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoyed that, too. (laughs) Well, well, I didn't didn't even get to the point that I I had it. There's a bit more to get through. But I do, I'm just going to take a pause here to say, I do like the, uh, you know, the way this is written, as we discussed before, is sort of free and direct uh, speech or discourse, um, where the third-person narrator is sort of assuming some of the qualities of uh, the uh, innermost thoughts of the character they're describing right yes and i just uh think it's ridiculous i, I just can't imagine uh anyone much less a uh, attractive woman describing their body as wholly satisfactory <laughs> <laughs> you know uh anyway uh, shall i continue please okay <clears throat> the small firm breast showed no sign of sacking <laughs> <laughs> the narrow almost boyish hips had not begun to widen and grow soft her legs were still as slim and strong as they were when she was 16, receiving mm. her first man, <laughs> and her stomach was still perfectly flat. All right, so yeah, all... I realized I, I stopped prematurely. <laughs> I could have just kept reading. <laughs> so, so once again, all of that was pretext for the part that I actually wanted to read. <laughs> Are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> when I, after I read this passage, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> okay, here we go. Ready? <sighs> She touched her navel gently. It was true what the press agents and copywriters and gossip colonists had said. Her navel was too large and too obvious when she moved. Experimentally, she twisted her hips in shifting motion, which had uh, invariably produced wild shears from the audience. Her navel moved clearly, as if tracing the complex contortions of her body. It was sexual almost to the point of obscenity. That was nice. <laughs> so, so just a couple of points there. Uh, one being, uh, I don't, I feel like most people are not, uh, especially fixated on people's navels. Um, does not seem to be a part of the body that, um, you know, men or women, uh, gravitate towards when they're listing the, uh, parts they find attractive. Do you, would you agree with me on that? I would, but you could consider it like a micro orifice, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I don't, I, I feel like most people are not particularly attracted to it. No. Um, but I just love the idea of what, what does it mean that her navel was too obvious when she moved? <laughs> so I don't know. That was so, that so, was baffling to me too. That's a little bit of strangeness. Uh, it seemed I, like I, more Crichton fetish <laughs> emerging in the text. But I, I just like the the tableau of her, you know, ju- jutting her navel out to a crowd of onlookers <laughs> and them losing their minds because of her navel. A little strange. Uh, and then I find the the way that the, the paragraph ends just with, that was nice to be bizarre and hysterical. <laughs> it just seems so unnecessary. 
just a weird little cat. Yeah, although I did refer to it as a micro orifice, I would say that it's more like a comical mouth than anything else. <laughs> yeah. But the mouth because we're used to seeing like people painting things on their belly buttons. And That's true. Stuff like that. Um, and if, if there was, I honestly like this, this particular subsection is filled with so many great bits. There's a bit about how much she likes to shave her body, which again, just feels like some Michael Crichton fetishism. Uh, <laughs> this whole sequence is just insane and uh, very enjoyable. Um, this was well before the era where shaving was de rigueur as well. It was the norm for sure. Mm. Um, so which, which, which um, points to the fact that maybe Crichton prefers a uh, certain uh, youth it is in his women too. Not to, not, to, not to intimate that he was a pedophile or anything like that. <laughs> not uh, to, for, this, for the third or fourth time, intimate that he's a pedophile. We're just using the text as written. Is his estate especially litigious? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> uh, they, they, they allowed this novel to be published, so obviously they don't care that much. <laughs> um, so shall we uh, move on to the next uh, subsection? Let's do it. Where we have an intersection of characters. So we get a little more Brian and Miguel chatter. They are both at the pool. And they talk about the fact that they're going to have a meeting uh, that night. in um, uh, what's his name? Uh, the other guy. Jinx. 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 That's right. I almost said Shrek, like Max Shrek from Batman Returns. But that's not right. Um, well, Shrek from Shrek. <laughs> nope. Uh, and uh, so they set up. They establish the fact that they're gonna have, a, they're gonna discuss the plan tonight. Miguel is a little frustrated that uh, you know Brian is keeping the details from him at this juncture. Mm. He wants to know more, and that he's being so insistent that he repeats the flashcards, which we're not really sure what that means exactly. No, over and over again. And then we get a little more of this wonderful creation of uh, Crichton's uh, Maria Teresa Gonzalez. Mm. She is also lounging near the pool, and she checks up a conversation with Miguel. Um, presuming because, as all women in in the in this book so far do, she lives only for uh, to be satisfied by a man. Um, this is borne out by the fact that she she attempts to uh, seduce uh, Mr. Miguel here, uh, and they make a date to uh, quote unquote have lunch. Mm. All right, let's uh, let's 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 go, let's go through the last little bit of this chapter, shall we? You wanna go through it? Kind of from a mouthful of biscuit. Okay, well, well, I'll, I'll start and then I'll pass it off to you. Thank you. Um, so Brian, for um, reasons that aren't quite explained, uh, decides to go for a walk uh, after eating dinner, and he sort of cases the uh, facilities of the the resort. Um, he checks out a dock, or he checks out two docks: one that's swimming and one where a boat could conceivably um you know get attached and and put some dynamite on it um and then he is joined by annette um who earlier uh <laughs> like every other uh Crichton character described her desire to um get fucked by the right man and uh indicated that uh jinx or uh brian might be suitable in this regard um, and so she walks up and starts the conversation with him, presumably with the intention of leading to that. Um, and for some reason, Brian is um, flirting with her, and he said that says that she'll do, which 
uh, makes it seem as though um, he's going to use her for some purpose related to the plan. Yes. Is that the indication that you got to? Yes, because he refers to her as uh, a potential candidate, mm. but it's not explained for what. No. Um, and then the chapter ends with uh, um, Brian going up to go uh, go get meet, met, go get meted by uh, Miguel and uh, Mr. Jinx. I should point out as well that... Um, Brian arranges a future date with mm. Annette, That's right? True. Because initially um, she proposes they have dinner that very night, mm. but he's already got an engagement. He has to sort out this plan. Mm. And uh, after he realizes the fact that, you know, his uh, lust has been foiled, mm. he muses how terrible is the plight of a man torn between the conflicting desires of greed and lust. Yeah, so uh, do we have predictions about what's what's going to happen in the next chapter? So they're going to have this meeting with Jenks, this mm. fabled meeting. Mm. I think the next chapter will reveal the details of the plan. 50 pages in. He can't prolong it any longer. And nothing else will happen in that chapter. Okay, do you, do you think we'll get some good uh, Crichton sex scenes? No, I think the... Mm. the then maybe the next chapter will feature it. Mm, the next chapter, chapter after, after that, two chapters chapter ahead. Next. Yeah, I, I could buy that. Uh, it is telling that the next chapter is just called Night, June 17th, so presumably it's going to be just a yeah, uh, pl- uh, plan going over chapter. But we'll see. Finally, we're going to be privy to this plan. Yeah. Thank Christ. Uh, this Thank Christ. Plan, uh, as we do every week. And uh, we'll let's finally take a moment, moment, <laughs> moment yeah, to appreciate <laughs> how, the how gift he gave die? the world. How did Crichton die? I think it was cancer. That sounds right. Let's see. It would be fitting if he died of climate change. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe he was buried so that many times. That's crazy. <laughs> I mean, I can believe it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's see. <laughs> Reading Illness. his attitude to women. Yeah, he had cancer. Was it lung cancer? No. I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, so a moment of silence. Yeah, it had lymphoma. I have lymphoma, which is a fear of missing out on Hamilton. <laughs> God. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna end the podcast right here. I can't. Dancing in the moonlight, everybody's feeling warm and bright. It's such a fine and natural sight. Everybody's dancing in the moonlight.